listening to the Sports Hive Podcast. Good afternoon, welcome to the Sports Hive Podcast, where we provide you with all of the buzz in the sports world. I am Jacob Hyde, and alongside of me is Luke. Uh, today is Monday, February 2nd, 2020, and we have a dandy of an episode ahead of us for you guys. Uh, we are going to be joined by a good friend of ours, Carrick Jackson, and he will be with us talking the Super Bowl that happened last night, and we also have some NBA news with all-star rosters that have been released, and some college hoops news, and also some baseball news to end the show. So without further ado, let's get started. So we're going to open the show today talking about Super Bowl 54 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And obviously, it took place last night, and the Chiefs are your Super Bowl 54 champions. They defeated the 49ers by a score of 31-20. to And going into this game, it was the 49ers defense and their run game versus Patrick Mahomes and the offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. And we got to see both of them in full force during the Super Bowl. And the 49ers held the 10-point lead in the second half going into the fourth quarter. And their defense was getting stopped. And then Patrick Mahomes just woke up. And he led the offense down the field and got some touchdowns. And then, obviously, Damian Williams with the go-ahead touchdown to give the Kansas City Chiefs the lead towards the end of the game. So, uh, Carrick? Uh, my first question to you is, how did you like the game overall? What was the feel of the game and just the whole overall intensity? I mean, despite it being such a close game, I really enjoyed it overall. I mean, I thought that there were definitely a lot of positives and negatives on both sides of the ball, um, especially in that second half. I think that Kansas City's trump card was almost Damian Williams. I mean, he he broke out for a lot of big runs, especially in that second half, and obviously had that big touchdown late in the game that sealed that game. So, obviously, I know that Patrick Mahomes got the MVP for the outstanding performance he had in the second half, but my my trump card MVP right there would probably be Damian Williams for the Chiefs. Yeah, he was definitely a key player in the second half of that game. So, Luke, same question to you. How did you like the game overall? How did you like the feel and the intensity of it throughout? Uh, I loved it, for especially in that first half and fourth quarter. Third quarter was a little weird. I think there was a point where I thought 49ers could have ended it, but obviously they couldn't get it done. Um, Mahomes was struggling a lot early. He started 21 of 36, but obviously he picked it up late in that fourth quarter with huge plays to um, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, and Damian Williams to clinch it. Um, this is the second time we've seen uh, Kyle Shanahan fold late in another Super Bowl we saw it with the when he was OC of the Falcons back blowing that 28-3 lead. And now he's blowing another late game lead. So that was very interesting. Yeah, overall, it was just a really good game and very intense and very fun to watch. So the next question I have for both of you is, how crazy is it to see that the Chiefs in all their playoff games have come back from those deficits to come back and eventually win those games? Eric, you can go first. I mean, it's that's something special right there, you know, especially coming from a young quarterback like Patrick Mahomes being the first quarterback to have both an MVP and a Super Bowl championship under his belt under the age of 25. Um, going into all these games, I mean, we all thought that Houston was going to route them after being a 24-0, and obviously Mahomes fights back, wins at 51-31. Um, You've got Houston coming up on them, or sorry, not Houston, Tennessee going up on them um, 17-7 early and then them going down later. And now the 49ers just weren't able to close out the game on offensively. And the defensive game plan finally worked for the Chiefs later on in that game. And that just caused the 49ers to slip and fall. Lucas, same question to you. How crazy is it that Patrick Mahomes can do this in all these playoff games at the age of 24? 
yeah, I think it's crazy. This is, I mean, in all three games, there, especially the Houston game and this game, there were points in the game where you thought it might have been over for them. And they just fight back the entire time. I think you just, I mean, you, you scroll through social media and people are like, oh, congrats to Houston for winning or congrats to, you know, um, San Francisco for winning. And all of a sudden it's just, <laughs> they just don't win. Um, and yeah, it's just crazy to see the fight in this team, especially Mahomes. I honestly, in all the playoff games I've watched with this year for the Kansas City Chiefs, when they went down 24 nothing and 17-7, to I honestly had no hope for them coming back. I knew it was Patrick Mahomes. And, like, I've talked to you guys before how we kind of forgot who Patrick Mahomes was and what he could do because of Lamar Jackson and what he did all year. But I had kind of had no hope for them coming back, and I honestly don't know. They just had the heart, and they obviously fought back and won all of these games and eventually have won, now won the Super Bowl last night. So some of the stats from the Super Bowl game on the 49ers side, Jimmy Garoppolo threw 20 for 31, 219 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Raheem Moser had 12 carries for 58 yards. And Debo Samuel, he was very key in the beginning of that game. I thought he was going to be unstoppable after those first couple possessions for the 49ers, but he had five receptions for 39 yards. And on the Chiefs side of things, Patrick Mahomes, 26 of 42, two, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Tyreek Hill had nine catches, 105 yards. Uh, Travis Kelsey had six catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. And obviously, Damian Williams, 17 carries for 104 yards in one rushing touchdown. And he also added that receiving touchdown to seal the game, obviously. So, do you guys have any more thoughts from the Super Bowl? I just personally wanted to address um, one other thing that's been really huge for the reason why San Francisco got to this point, and that's their right tackle, Mike McGlinchey. All right, that man... Watching him throughout this playoff run has been phenomenal. I mean, especially in this game, he really did make Mostert and Coleman look like the all-stars that their stats are showing them to be. Um, he acted as a wall for a lot of their run gaps, um, did an excellent job sealing the edge, um, and he had definitely the most hustle out of their entire O-line because that offensive line really has been the key to San Francisco's success, and they had a lot of that today. Um, just late in the game, they weren't able to pull it off. But obviously, um, their right tackle, Mike McGlinchey, has just had a phenomenal playoff run with his team and his offensive line. So I really have to give props to him on the uh, San Francisco side of the ball. Yeah, that run game has been very deadly for them. And after the Packer game, I knew that you wanted to come on here and talk about that offensive line that (laughs) a lot of people were talking about. So now you have finally had your chance. And yourself are an old lineman, so you know how much hard work they have to put in to get their running back or like a running back to get some numbers. Exactly. So, Luke, do you have any other thoughts on the Super Bowl? Yeah, I just have one funny thing. I don't know if you guys noticed, but on Jimmy G's first interception, there was actually some double former Packer action. Um, the, the lead pass rusher in that play was actually former Packer Mike Pinnell. And then, obviously, the interception came from Last year, Packer, Rashad Breeland. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting dynamic on that play. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see. So staying with the NFL, uh, Saturday night were the NFL awards. So we got to see who won the MVP and obviously the offensive player of the year and uh, awards like that. So go, just going down the list, uh, MVP was unanimously Lamar Jackson of Baltimore Ravens. He had an outstanding regular season. I mean, they lost in the playoffs, but just the numbers he put up throughout the year were just crazy. And obviously he made us forget about who Patrick Mahomes was. But now we will not forget who Patrick Mahomes was because he is is an MVP award winner and now a Super Bowl champion. So uh, Offensive Player of the Year went to Michael Thomas and the New Orleans Saints. That kid's a monster. He's the best receiver in the league. Debatably, it could be DeAndre Hopkins, too but just the numbers Michael Thomas put up is just monstrous, so well-deserved from him. Defensive Player of the Year 
was Stephon Gilmore of the New England Patriots. Offensive Rookie of the Year was uh, Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. Defensive Rookie of the Year, San Francisco 49ers defensive end Nick Bosa. Uh, Comeback Player of the Year, which was really cool to see, was Ryan Tannehill. He obviously got traded from the Dolphins uh, because he was not performing, and he led. He got put in because the Titans obviously benched Marcus Mariota, and Tannehill led the Titans to the playoffs. And obviously, they lost to the Chiefs. But still, Ryan Tannehill well deserved for comeback player of the year. Coach of the year was Jim Harbaugh. And the Walter Payton player of the year award was Callis Campbell of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, uh, Carrick, I just want to ask you, are there any surprises throughout this list? Or what, what do you think about who won these awards? And are there any players that you think that should have won that didn't? I mean, yeah, just looking at the list going down, obviously unanimous Lamar Jackson, second one, obviously the first one being Tom Brady. He definitely deserved that. Had a, such a phenomenal sophomore season with the Baltimore Ravens and Coach Harbaugh on top of that as well. Um, obviously the man behind all the, all the plays leading the charge for the Ravens and them being the one seed in the AFC for the first time in a long time. Um, those two are very much so deserving, as well as Michael Thomas for offensive player. Um, I kind of had a bit of a question about Stefan Gilmore being defensive player of the year. Um, I could definitely see massive cases for guys like Chandler Jones and Aaron Donald, who Chandler Jones led the league in forced fumbles and Aaron Donald in sacks. Um, they were, those two have just been monsters um, all, the, all the way through the, the regular season at their respective positions, but I definitely still have a lot of respect for Stefan Gilmore um, winning that award because he himself as well for the Patriots, such a phenomenal season for that guy. Um, everybody else I think is exactly as they should be. Um, offensive rookie is kind of in question for me a little bit too between Kyler Murray and Oakland running back Josh Jacobs, both of them having obviously great years for their respective teams, despite not having the best of records between the two. Um, but besides that, I believe this list is pretty much as good as it can be. Yeah, and I think Josh Jacobs should have earned more respect in kind of going after that Offensive Rookie of the Year award because the Oakland Raiders really didn't have any expectations going in the year. And early in the year, they were actually playing really well. And they actually finished out the year pretty well as well. So Josh Jacobs is definitely one of the players that could have won that award over Kyler Murray. So Luke, same question with you. Going down the list, are there any surprising players that you see on here or any players that you think should have won the awards over any of these players? Yeah, I also had Josh Jacobs um, winning Offensive Rookie of the Year over Kyler Murray. I think, you know, they almost – they were, I think, only a game or two games out of the playoffs, and they didn't really have any other offensive weapons other than him. Um, I mean, I also obviously Michael Thomas put up a record-breaking receiving year, and he probably should have won the award. But I think it's almost a toss-up between him, Lamar, and Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey, a thousand rushing, a thousand rushing yards, and a thousand receiving yards, just an insane year for him. And Lamar, we already know, we already talked about the year he had. So, I think it's really a toss-up between those three. But just because of the record-breaking year that Michael Thomas had, I think they had to give it to him. Yeah, I was. Certainly, there's a lot of players that are well-deserving of these awards, but obviously some of these players just outplayed some of the others. So moving along with the show, we are going to move along with the NBA, and we all heard that the All-Star rosters have been revealed. And so starting with the East, uh, the starters go as uh, Trey Young, Kemba Walker, Pascal Siakam, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. And me and Luke, before we started the show, we put together some of the, we put together predicted all-star rosters for each, the East and the West for the starters and reserves. So I'm going to go through my start or my, like what was different from my predicted roster with the actual roster that have come out. And then Luke will do the same. And then we will move on to the reserves and do the same with the reserves and so on and so forth. And Carrick can also bring in his input on who, who he thinks was snubbed from the All-Star Games. Well, I'll be asking those questions in a little bit. 
So obviously my predicted all-star roster was Trey Young, Kemba, Giannis, Jason Tatum, and Embiid for the starting lineup. So obviously the only difference was Jason Tatum is not in the starting lineup and Pascal Siakam is. So though, And I had them both on my team, but they were just flipped in where I had them. So Luke, based on your starting lineup, what did you have right and what did you have wrong? Actually, one of my starters didn't even make the team, and rightfully so. Um, the only reason I put Kyrie Irving in my starting lineup was because he was very high in the uh, fan vote at the time. And obviously, he's only played 18 games this year, which is not enough to gain an all-star. Um, but I had him in instead of Kemba only because of the fan vote at the time, really. Yes, yeah, I had – the only thing that I had switched was Jason Tatum and Siakam. So going on to the reserves, the all-star reserves for the East go as followed. Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton, Jimmy Butler – Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, and DeMontis Savonis. And what I had was Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons, and Kyle Lowry. So the only I had three differences in my reserves, which was obviously Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, and Andre Drummond. And I didn't have – yeah, I didn't have Chris Middleton – Bam Adebayo or DeMontis Savonis. So, Lucas, who did you have right and who did you have wrong going into the reserves for the East? Well, uh, one thing I noticed is I actually did not have Pascal Siakam in my starting lineup either. I had Jimmy Butler instead of him. But otherwise, I had Bradley Beal instead of DeMontis Savonis. And I had Kyrie, obviously, on my team instead of Kyle Lowry. So those were the two differences in the East that I really had. All right, and moving along to the West, the starters for the Western Conference goes Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard. And I had the exact same starting lineup. It was pretty easy to predict. You could just tell out of the West who was going to get those starting positions. So I think both me and Lucas, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think have... everybody in the world had those five as their starting <laughs> lineup in the West. I yeah, I, was, think, was... I think everybody in the world, I think people who don't know basketball know who the five best players in the Western Conference are this year. Those players. Yeah, it was pretty easy to. Other than, I mean, other than we're obviously going to talk about Damian Lillard later in the show, but that's more recent, and that was before the starters were announced. So, um, I mean, you can make a case for him over any either of those guards right now, but – at the time, it was obvious, those five. Yep, and moving on to the reserves, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jocic, and Brandon Ingram round out the reserves to the West. And my predicted reserves went Lillard, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Paul George. I had Jocic. I had Carl Anthony Towns as well. Russell Westbrook and Brandon Ingram. So the biggest, the biggest snub, I think, obviously out of the Western Conference is Devin Booker. Like, why isn't he in the All Star game? He's averaging twenty seven points a game. I honestly don't. And we'll get to the East in a moment, but I honestly don't think, I honestly don't know how I got that pick wrong. I I definitely thought Booker was going to make the reserve team for the Western Conference. So Luke, who did you get right and who did you get wrong? in the Western Conference Reserves? So I had three players that did not make it out of the reserves, and that was Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, and Devin Booker. Obviously, Paul George has been, you know, load managing all the year. He missed the whole first month of the season. So, you know, it's right that he didn't make it. Um, and, and the players I did not have in that made it were Brandon Ingram, Rudy Gobert, and Chris Paul. Um, as far as Devin Booker goes, you know, I, the thing is, I don't know what players he would make it in for. I guess you can say Chris Paul um, or even Russell Westbrook, who's been struggling this season. But, it, I mean, it, Booker probably should have made it, but it, it's tough just playing in that West right now. Yeah, and uh, moving on is – and Carrick is going to add to this conversation as well. But obviously, like I said, when I was going over my picks, Devin Booker is the biggest snub, I think, coming out of the all-star voting and he is averaging 27 points a game for the Suns. 
And my second pick for the biggest snub in the All-Star voting is obviously Bradley Beal. He's averaging 29 points a game for the Wizards. So, Carrick, who do you think are the snubs of the All-Star voting, and do you have any surprises as well? Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you guys in saying that Devin Booker and Bradley Beal are two of the biggest snubs for their respective conferences. I mean, Bradley Beal currently averaging 28.8 points per game, which is fifth in the NBA, um, and also his top 20 in player efficiency rating as well. He has just been playing lights out for the Wizards, who obviously have been – or who he's had to step up for the loss of John Wall for the last couple of years now. Um, and he's, he's just having a really good career season here, putting up amazing numbers. And on the other side for the West and Devin Booker, same thing. He's eighth in the league at 27.1 points per game, top 30 in player efficiency, um, shooting over 50%, which is something that you don't see every day. I mean, he's, I believe I heard he was one of the first players to not make an all-star game, averaging above 20 points and shooting over 50% from the field. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. And I mean, but I also agree with Luke. I mean, playing in the Western Conference is hard. Um, there's a lot of good talent in the Western Conference spread out across all 15 teams. Um, I even heard in some of the other um, news stations for covering the NBA that even a guy like um, John Morant could have even had a case to make it into the All-Star game. But um, I'm definitely glad that obviously he would be in the um, Rising Stars Challenge. Um, and, yeah, guys like him could definitely have been made a case, but it's just the West is well too stacked for to put all of these players into the, into the mix. Yeah, and Devin Booker obviously spoke his mind about it, and reporters asked him about him not making the All-Star team. He said, and they asked him, what would you, if you, if you could change anything of the All-Star game, what would you change? And he obviously simply put it, they should put the best players in the game. And obviously Booker could be is obviously one of the best. If you just went by like stats right now, he was taking the All Star game based on if they kept it as before in the NBA, where they kept where they kept putting in the best players in the league. So Lucas, same question: Are there any who are your biggest snubs, and are there any surprises? And I will leave you on the floor by yourself. I know you want to rant about. I know you want to. I do. Tell everybody in the world your thoughts on Chris Middleton, and I will let you to it. All right, so first off, for my snubs, I definitely DeMontis Sabonis. I think the coaches put DeMontis Sabonis in because they needed to put a pacer in because their team success is very good, but I don't think his numbers quite warranted over Bradley Beal, who was averaging 29 points, 6.3 assists, 4.5 rebounds on 45-32-84 splits and has the Wizards only three and a half games out of eighth with a roster that's extremely depleted. Um, I'm not quite sold on other guys who are considered snubs like Zach Levine or Jalen Brown only because, I mean, if we're going to put Jalen Brown in there, then you have to put like Eric Bledsoe or something in there because the the Bucks should have three all-stars before the Celtics would. And obviously the Celtics already have two all-stars in. And as far as the Levine goes, I mean, he's playing well. He's averaging 25, 5, and 4 on 44, 38, 83 shooting. And only has the Bulls three games out of the um, eighth place. But it, I'm just not sold on Levine as a complete player yet. Um, I'd have to see more from him. Obviously, we talked about Devin Booker already. I mean, his numbers are just ridiculous this year. Averaging 27, 6, and 4 on 51, 36, 92 shooting. And the Suns are only three and a half games out of the playoffs right now. Yeah, and it's the not like either – it's not like, excuse me, I'm sorry for interrupting, but it's not like Booker is the only person on the Suns anymore. They actually got some good players in the draft and also in free agency. So it's not like he's just trying to carry the Suns in scoring. He He's getting the ball to his teammates also. So it's not like it's just him anymore. So keep going. Yeah, and the only player, but the thing is the only player I would put him in over is probably Chris Paul, who's averaging 17.6.5 assists and five rebounds. Um. And, but the thing is that Chris Paul has his team in seventh place, and I definitely didn't see that coming into the season. So, uh, obviously, guys like Shai Gillis, Alexander, and stuff are, you know, showing up for them. But Chris Paul is still a leader of that team right now. So, And 
here is my Chris Middleton rant. We're going to start here. <laughs> Chris Middleton is the most underappreciated player in basketball right now. Agreed. Let's start over these last 10 games. Over the last 10 games, listen to these numbers. He's averaging 25 points, six rebounds, five assists, one steal. On, listen to the shooting splits. 60% field goal, 60% from three, 89% from uh, the free throw line in 30 minutes per game. Now, you can say that's a small sample size last 10 games, but let's take it back 10 more games, last 20 games, 23 points per game, six rebounds per game, five assists per game. And the shooting splits don't get much worse. 51% from the field, 47% from three, 90% from the line in another 30 minutes per game. And he could join a club that only has Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Dirk Nowitzki. That's 50%. That's 20. That is a 50-40-90 club scoring over 20 points per game. That's what he's on pace to do right now. Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Dirk Nowitzki. If he was more flash, if he was, you know, more aggressive, that's the thing. My thing with with Chris Middleton is that sometimes he is way too passive with the ball. I saw him today just pass the ball to Pat Connaughton, who is just as open as him, and it really makes me mad sometimes because Chris Middleton can, he can get a bucket whenever he wants, but sometimes he just decides to pass it to guys who just don't get the buckets that he does when they're just as open as he is. So I think if he was just more aggressive with the ball, I think he'd be considered a Super Bowl, a superstar by most players or by most fans. Yeah, he obviously is one of the most underappreciated players in the NBA. And he is – it's just the past games I've watched, it does like, like the past weeks, it doesn't even seem like he's missing anything. It's just every time you see he doesn't. him play, he's making everything. And it's just incredible to watch. And hopefully the fans see it. And hopefully he can get the – um What's the word I'm looking for? Like the recognition he deserves. Recognition he deserves. And so those were obviously very good stats that you brought up. And those are great facts and why he should be a superstar in this league. And fans are just not seeing it because obviously it might be because of Giannis and he might be overshadowing Chris a little bit. But I know, so he's 28 years old. So. Yeah, and and he is is probably overshadowed by because he is in Milwaukee, but that one-two punch in Milwaukee is going to be deadly for years to come, obviously. So if you guys have no other comments about the All-Star rosters, we will move on to what Luke said before about Damian Lillard and how he has been on a scorching streak as of late. So uh, in his last 10 games, he has averaged 41 points, rebounds, and nine assists. And so what are your thoughts about Damian Lillard and the streak he is on right now? And does this push him up the board of a potential MVP award? Karen. I personally, just from these last six games, I think personally, I feel like it's almost easy to consider Damian Lillard the best point guard in basketball right now. Um, just looking at his most recent games, I mean, versus Dallas in a loss, he put up 47 points, six and eight, in a win against Indiana, 56, 13, triple double against Houston, scoring 36, 10 and 11 um, at the Lakers, which was their first home game after the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. He put up 48 points, nine rebounds, 10 assists, shooting 56.7%. And then last game against Utah, 51, 2, and 12 assists, which is insane. And throughout all those five games, not once did he drop below 50% shooting from the field or even 50% shooting from three, which is even more crazy. Um, it's, it's clear that he's the best point guard in basketball right now. And now he's averaging – he's third in the league in points per game and sixth in assists, top five in player efficiency. Um, I think it, at this point I would start to kind of mention his name in the um, – all-star or not all-star um mvp talks um but to me it's still looking like it's Giannis, it's luca it's lebron um because those three players have just been lights out since day one and damian lillard's more or less just starting to kick off and if he can kick this up he can really be in those talks coming up in these next few weeks 
Yeah, he has definitely been on a roll. And honestly, I wish he had more help beside him right now. I know me and Luke talked about it earlier. Uh, Damian Lillard only has really CJ McCollum and Carmel Anthony right now, as, like production wise. So just if Damian Lillard had other players around him that can make him even better, that would just be crazy to watch. So, Luke, same question. Uh, how do you feel about Damian Lillard during the streak? And do you see him as a potential talk in the MVP voting? Yeah, I know you were talking about the last 10 games, but we can just bring it back to the last six games. His averages have been 48, 10, and 6. And as Carrick already said, I think with Stephen Curry out, he's pretty easily right now the best point guard in basketball. I mean, if I was a GM and I was able to take any point guard in the league, I would take Damian Lillard right now. I don't think there's a question. I'd take him over Kyrie. I'd take him over Russell Westbrook, over Kemba Walker. Any name you give me, I'm taking Damian Lillard right now with um, with Stephen Curry out. Um, he could finish as an MVP, MVP finalist. I think that award, at this point, the awards Giannis is without a doubt. And I don't see anyone taking it from him with how he's played in these last few weeks, especially uh, just lights out. But yeah, I mean, this streak has just been ridiculous seeing him just go out. And it's an efficient scoring. It's not like, you know, how hard was scoring at the beginning of the year where he might take 30 shots. Like, this is way more ridiculous to me than what like Harden's streak was. Yeah, and he's obviously, we've seen him do it before in the playoffs was a sample size of what he he was able to do last year in the playoffs. And obviously he is continuing it, and continuing it into this year and this streak right now. And it, honestly, it's just crazy to see after the tragic de- death of Kobe Bryant, all these players have gone off. You've seen, you see, you saw Kyrie drop like 52 points in one of the most efficient, efficient games in NBA history. Chris Middleton had 51 or 52 points this last week. And, is on this. Eric Gordon, too. Yeah, and now Damian Lillard is on this outstanding streak. So uh, it's just crazy to see all these players uh, looking up to to their idol by going off in games like this, and it's just amazing to watch. So if you guys have noticed... Oh, yep. Yep, Just go ahead. I mean, Lucas Lucas mentioned that his, his efficiency has been off the charts, but we had to recognize that not only is he scoring 41.6 points in his last 10 games, but he's also averaging 9.3 assists. I mean, not only is he scoring, but he's, he's finding his teammates and making it work with him, um, regardless if it's C.J. McCollum or um, Carmelo Anthony or anybody else on the Portland Trailblazers right now. He's finding them and making them work with him, despite not having the best core beside him, especially in that starting five. Yeah, and that's that's amazing to see he is making things work and he's getting his team involved to try to get some victories. So if Luke has no other comments about this, we will be switching gears to the baseball diamond and we'll be talking about Mookie Betts and the trade rumors surrounding the Boston Red Sox. Um, I know I was talking to both of you and I falsely reported two times, two times, that Mookie Betts was on a team. The first time I said he went to the Padres, which was false, and then I got totally fooled on Twitter. There was a fake, like on, you know, there's like the things that look like the verified, the verified check marks on Twitter. And I saw a tweet about Mookie Betts being traded to the Yankees. And it was obviously <laughs> fake because there it was no verified. <laughs> And they all made fun of me. So, honestly, we do Twitter moments. We do Twitter moments in our show. And this could be one of them, just the way the stupidity of me believing two times that Mookie Betts has been traded, which he really wasn't. But in the real world, it looks like the Dodgers and the Padres are looking to potentially make deals with Betts. So, Luke and Carrick, who do you think out of those two and some other teams who do you think will get arguably the sec- second best position player in baseball? I'll start. Um, well, first of all, Jacob, the, the funniest part about you missing the, uh, messing up those tweets was the fact that the one with the Yankees said that it was Mookie Betts for Aaron Judge. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I think that kind of gave it away that it was not real. I could see you getting the Padres thing because that was a real rumor and it still is. Um, it looks like he'll be if he gets, ends up getting traded, he'll be heading to Southern California regardless. This could be a huge move for the landscape of MLB. Obviously, the Red Sox struggled last year. They missed the playoffs. Now they're uh, without a new manager. Or I think they might have just hired a new, a new one. But, um, you know, all the controversy surrounding their team right now with uh, that's coming off of the Astros cheating scandal that's now going on to them, I think it might be time for them to move on in this clean house. Um, I could I could possibly see with either team. I think, obviously, it's going to take a lot to get a guy of that caliber that's almost – he's almost on that like Mike Trout level where it's going to be almost impossible to acquire him. But I could see either the Padres or Dodgers having the talent to pull it off. Yeah. And I also saw, I, I think looking up Mookie bets, I also saw uh, along with the Dodgers and Padres, I also saw that the St. Louis Cardinals could make a push, but I don't know how true that is. So Carrick, same question I gave to Luke. Who do you think arguably or gets the, arguably the best second position player in, in the game? You know, the biggest – I feel like the biggest thing that this is going to come down to is looking forward to the future. Um, I feel like if it, whether it's the Padres or the Dodgers, you've got to give – got to give someone a young back, somebody young who's making obviously not as big of an impact, but someone that can, is capable of, and has proven to make somewhat of an impact for their respective teams. So, like, for the Padres – you're looking at like center fielder Manuel Margot. Um, and then for the Dodgers, you're looking at maybe a 23-year-old outfielder, Alex Verdugo, who's hit 12 homers in 106 games in his rookie year for the Dodgers. Um, regardless, you're, you're thinking of somebody that's got to be young, someone for the future, someone that was just drafted, um, that can still make a big impact for the Red Sox. And it's looking like a lot of one of these one of these trades could probably be coming very soon. Yeah, it looks like it could be coming within a couple of weeks from now. But another question I have for you is if the Dodgers or the Padres or the Cardinals were able to acquire Mookie, how big of a deal in like how many years do you think they would want to have him? Like would it be a long term deal or would it be a just like a one year rental or a two year rental? and move on, or do you think it'll be a long, longer term? I feel like, I feel like if it were the Padres, at least, I feel like that would be more of a long-term deal because, I mean, the Padres are a team that have been struggling for a long time. And, I mean, even when they got Manny Machado this past offseason, um, they had signed him to a pretty hefty contract as well over there. And, I mean, I didn't really know how much he would help them during the season, and obviously the Padres had missed the playoffs for yet another year. Um, if it came down to maybe the Cardinals or the Dodgers, I see those two teams both as contenders this upcoming season. Um, so I could definitely see them pulling up together um, a good enough trade to make a big long-term deal for a young star like Moogie Betts. Yeah, obviously, like you said, the Padres have been struggling, so if that's what were to go to the Padres, it would be a longer term. So, Luke, same question. Do you think if it – I know Carrick talked about the Padres, so I think you should talk about the Dodgers or the Cardinals. Do you think if either one of those two teams were to get them, would it be a short-term or a long-term deal? Well, I actually think for all three teams, it's short. But how much money these teams are – putting into players' pockets. As far as the Padres goes, they just signed huge money to Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer. They have so much money tied down to them, I think it would be way too hard for them to try to um, extend Mookie bets. The Dodgers go, they're going to have to pay Cody Bellinger pretty soon. And you already have Clayton Kershaw on the books. And then when you go to the Cardinals, you have um, Cole Goldschmidt under contract right now. I think it's – I. When, especially the Padres, I won't see them signing Mookie Betts for a long term. Which is for all superstars, I think, especially in the NFL or the MLB, my bad. Uh, I think a lot of superstars that bounce around to different teams, it's always a one or two year rental and then they're moving on. It's just, I think it's just the story of the MLB is 
the best players in the game, if they want to get traded, they only go to a different team for a year and then they'll move on. And I just think overall that's just how the MLB works nowadays. So if you guys have no other comments about the MLB, we are going to bounce back to some basketball, but this time it's going to be some college hoops. And the only topic topic we have for today is obviously the Auburn versus Kentucky game on Saturday night. And they played a really tough game against each other, but after the game, the talk wasn't about happened in the game, or it was what happened in the game, but it was of the refs. They blew the whistle a lot, and it was in Auburn's favor. Auburn shot a total of 44 free throws compared to Kentucky's 24. So it was a 20 free throw difference in that game. So, Carrick, what do you think that the college officials should do to not take over games like this, especially big games in the SAC, like in big conferences. Right, right. Um, that's definitely, on paper, it definitely seems like, obviously, that's a blatant amount of free throws for one team to shoot. And I mean, in the NBA, some most of the time, numbers won't even hit that high. Um, but looking at it from the referee standpoint, obviously, they're not trying to sway the game one way or the other. Obviously, they try their best to call the game the best they can. Um, so it's kind of hard to, I guess, say that one team is being favored by the refs or the whole five versus eight thing or whatever. But regardless, um, I felt like a lot of the sh- a lot of the fouls that they were calling could have probably either been let go for the sake of letting them play on or even just going from there and not really calling, obviously, as many fouls as they did to lead to numbers like 44 free throws for Auburn and 24 for Kentucky. Um but like I said, I mean, the refs have to call the games the best that they can. Um, there's obviously not much you can do about that, and it's kind of hard to say that um, for most games, at least, that the refs determine the outcome of the game. But on paper, it definitely would seem like this one probably was determined by that. Yeah, and I have a really good take, which I'm going to let Luke talk first, and then I'll do my take. But I 100% agree with you, I think. In this whole season, the college basketball refs have been horrible and they just took over the game in too many. They've taken over the game in too many games. And I think, honestly, think that they should, some of the, they they call a lot of touch fouls. I think, especially in the NBA, they're not going to call those. So I think in the college level, they should just let those kind of fouls play on. And every time I said this on my Twitter page, I tweeted it out. And every time Jay Billis calls a game, he every time he opens his mouth, it's about, <laughs> oh, my God, he, like, got touched. Why is there a foul? And that's the one problem is you're talking about it, about how everything should be called. And just if, and I said, even if, like, if he ref the game, he would have 30 fouls under his belt, no doubt, just by himself calling a game as a ref, I think. I truly believe that. So, Luke, what do you think the college officials should do to not take over games. I think they just have to let guys play, especially in big games like this where it's two big teams with a lot of star players. Um, A lot of these guys are going to be playing pro, whether that's the NBA or overseas, and they have to learn to be more physical. And with that being said, you just have to let these guys play and have contact. If it's – obviously, if it's over the top or if it's, you know, making their shot harder to put in, obviously, you have to call it. But, I mean – the the pros are way more physical and they just have to adapt to that. And I think the refs should be a part of that. Yeah. And my take on this whole thing is Auburn. Okay. They did shoot 43, 44 free throws in the whole game. And honestly it is because they were playing to their strength. I've covered college basketball deeply for the past couple of years. And last year Auburn had Jared Harper and they had a sharp they had a sharp shooting team. They could hit from the outside and they could also play inside. So it was an inside out type of game for the Auburn Tigers last year. And they could consistently hit the three. But this year they lost Jared Harper, obviously, and a couple more perimeter players that could hit the three consistently. And this year, that is not their strength. Their strength is inside. And Wiley is a monster down low. And obvious honestly, they play they took advantage of Kentucky. And Auburn played to their strengths and drove the ball and got their fouls and went to the free throw line and made free throws. It just that's what it comes down to. And Ashton Hagens even said it. Auburn was the more aggressive 
team. That's why they got the fouls called because they kept driving and they kept getting the fouls. And they also had defensively seven steals to Kentucky's none. So even though Auburn shot 44 free throws, it's because they were the better, more aggressive team. And I think Kentucky fans should just let, let it go and just take that point because it, it's true. They were Auburn was playing to their strength and Bruce Pearl knows it. And the whole coaching staff on Auburn knows it, that they are not a three-point shooting team first this year. They have to drive the ball, and they can hit the open three at times. But overall, it's just get into the paint and get like in eventually get fouled, and that's what they did against Kentucky to win. So that is my whole take on the whole thing. But I do agree that the college refs have taken over a bunch of games, and they have called some horrible games. But in this one, it's because Auburn took advantage of what they do best, and that is play in the paint. So that is our last debating topic of our show. And if you guys have no other comments about college hoops, we'll move on to our last segment, and that is our daily picks segment. Every episode at the end of the show, we will have a little schedule of games going on of the days that we do not host a show and we will be making picks. And at this time of year, it is obviously the NBA and college basketball because the MLB is not going on. And so to start, we have the NBA slate for Monday and Tuesday. Our first game is the Dallas Mavericks at the Indiana Pacers. And that is happening on Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I will take the Pacers at home. Obviously, they get they have Victor Oladipo back, and I think he is a big, big difference maker for that Pacers team. And I think they get it done at home against Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. Tarek, this one this one's tough for me. Um, hearing that the Pacers the Pacers were just in full force, um, just got Victor Oladipo back, but quick loss to the Knicks recently really kind of set that back a little bit. Um, but on the other end, you've got a Dallas Mavericks team who has um, Luka Doncic, who's just been dis- – who's not going to be playing this game with a sprained ankle. Um, so it's really hard for me to pick this one, but I think my money's going to be on the Pacers. I think Victor Oladipo really shows us who he, who he is, who he used to be, and will just take down the MVP candidate list. Uh, Mavericks tomorrow. Luke? I'm going with the Pacers. Indiana is a really tough pace, place to play. And I was just talking today about how um, the Thunder, or when the Thunder made that trade, sending all the depot and Sabonis to the um, Pacers, everyone thought it was a really bad trade for the Pacers, but they ended up getting two All-Stars out of that. Um, and, you know, I was we were talking about the All-Star game today, but I, I have the Pacers just because they have everyone back at full force and the Mavericks without Luka, it's just a little depleted. All right. Game is Monday night at 7.30 Eastern time. It is the Philadelphia 76ers at the Miami Heat, and I will take the Heat at home. The 76ers just got blown out by the Boston Celtics, and I believe they are still struggling at this point. The last time we talked, I know they were struggling. So I will take the Heat at home. Eric? Yeah, I'll, I'm also taking the Heat at home here. I mean, Philadelphia's got arguably or one of the worst um, away records of the NBA this year, especially one for a winning team. Um, and obviously, even Joel Embiid, um, his, his last game shooting one for 11 from the field against the Celtics is just really reflective of the 76ers up and down season. Um, so my mind is definitely on the, uh, the rising heat at home. And Lucas. Yeah, I'm going with the heat too. The Sixers are one of the worst road teams in the NBA this year. And I just have to go with the heat here. The, um, we were seeing this is a potential first round matchup. It looks like it could be the heat as a three seed Sixers as a six seed. Um, and if that's the case, I would have to take the Heat in that series, too. But right now, I'm taking the Heat for this game specifically. And next, we have the Portland Trailblazers at the Denver Nuggets. 
and that game is happening Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And Damian Lillard, he is on a huge roll. He is dropping buckets, so I will take the Blazers on the road. Eric? This one's another tough one for me. You know, the Nuggets, the Nuggets are coming off a big win um, at Milwaukee, beating the number one team in the league. Um, the Trailblazers have a rising all-star in Damian Lillard who's taking over. Um, even looking at some of the injury reports, though, the Nuggets are, have game-time decisions set on Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Paul Millsap, who all are big contributors to this team. Um, but I just think that Damian Lillard's been making it work no matter who he plays. I mean, what he showed me at the Lakers this last game was phenomenal. So I'm going to go with the Trailblazers on the road. And Luke. It's funny. It looks like we're all agreeing. I'm taking the Trailblazers combination <laughs> of Damian Lillard just going crazy right now. But also, you look at, at this this little amount of rest that the Nuggets are getting has to catch up to them at some point. We saw they it took everything in them to beat the Bucks that night after getting into Milwaukee at five in the morning and having like three of their. Uh, I think that's going to have to catch up to them, especially with some of those starters still looking like they could be out for that game. And lastly, in the NBA slate, we have the San Antonio Spurs at the Los Angeles Lakers, and that game is happening Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time, and I will take the Lakers at home. Uh, Carrick? I'm also going to take the, the Lakers here. Um, the Lakers are already 2-0 and against the Spurs this season, um, winning against them twice in November, um, coming off a loss as well. Um, I think the Lakers are going to be a little bit more fired up, try to bring a win home back to the Staples Center. So this one, I'm going to take the Lakers. I'm also taking right, the so Lakers. That, oh. um, I, I just – obviously the Spurs are playing a lot better as of recently than they were they had in the beginning of the year. But I think, like Carrick said, the Lakers are going to be fired up after that loss. Yeah, I think, I think we uh, should see – Anthony Davis and LeBron James both go off in that game. And so that concludes our NBA slate for the Daily Pick segments. And moving on to the last part of the Daily Pick segment, and that is some college hoops action. And our first game is Texas at number three, Kansas. And that is going to happen on tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And I will take Kansas at home, Allen Fieldhouse, is a very tough place to play, and Kansas is coming off a victory against Texas Tech on Saturday, and it was a hard-fought game, and Devin Dotson, Devon Dotson, I'm sorry, um, had himself a game. I believe he had, like, 21 points in the victory on Saturday. So even with the suspensions, Kansas has been playing pretty well, and I will take them at home. Derek? Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to take uh, the Kansas Jayhawks at home again. Um, Devon Dotson having such an outstanding game against um, – or in their last game. Um, but they're, they're really going to need to step up because Matt Coleman on the Texas end averaging 12.3 a game right now. Um, he's, he's going to be an X factor for Texas if they want to win. And they're going to need to use their big man too, Doka Azabuki, on the Kansas end to win this game. And Luke? Kansas <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Azabuki is definitely a big key in this game. He gets into foul trouble a lot, and so Kansas really has to utilize him early in the game. And that every game that they play, they have to utilize him in the right position because he can easily get. He is so big, and he can get his body into other players and easily get a foul called on him. So. I think Texas looks to – if they want to get the upset, I think they have to look in getting Azebuki out of the game early. So next we have a Big Ten matchup. The Big Ten has been outstanding this year. One of the top leagues in the country in this matchup is Rutgers at Maryland. And this game is happening Tuesday night, tomorrow night, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I honestly don't know because – I think I'm going to take Maryland in this matchup because in the Big Ten, the home team has 
an outstanding record. I think the last time I checked, it was like 46 and 15, but that has obviously changed since the last time I checked. So I will take Maryland at home in this Big Ten game. Eric? I'm going to take the upside here, and I'm going to go with the Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers has definitely been surprising the world this season with their performance in the Big Ten this year. Right now they're ranked fifth in the Big Ten at 16-6 and six overall, 7-4 and four in the conference. Um, they are just coming off a loss, and Maryland is on a four-game win streak, but I think Rutgers is going to come into this game hungry, and some of Maryland's biggest losses, this, or four losses this year, have been because they've underestimated some of these teams. So my money's going to go with the 25th-ranked Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And Luke. Oh, thank you, Kirk, for finally disagreeing on something. But I'm also <laughs> going to go with Maryland here. <laughs> All right. Our next game is Auburn at Arkansas. And that game is happening Tuesday night, tomorrow night, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And Auburn coming off a big victory against Kentucky in the jungle. I will continue them in another victory. Two wins in a row for Auburn. I will take tomorrow night. Eric? This one might be one that we all agree on again, but I'm going with Auburn. And Luke? It is actually not one that we're going to all agree with because I'm going to go <laughs> and stay with my um, – taking the home teams in this one. I'm going to go with Arkansas here. Ooh. A, a good <laughs> – I don't know if it's a good pick or not, but uh, we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. Our next game is – Mississippi State at Kentucky at Rupp Arena on Tuesday, tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. This one will go down, and Kentucky is obviously coming off a loss. Mississippi State is playing pretty well, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm still going to take Kentucky in a bounce-back game at home at Rupp. Carrick? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I'm going to go with Kentucky. They've been playing lights out um, game after game, and I think that they're going to want this one at home. And Luke? I'm also going Kentucky here. All right. And our last game on the college basketball slate is another Big Ten showdown. It is Ohio State at Michigan. And this game is going down tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And honestly, I don't know. Again, I think I'm going to lean towards the home team in this one. I know Caleb Wesson for Ohio State is a monster, but Ohio State has dropped out of the rankings just, like, abruptly. They, at one point, I think it was last month, they were a top-five team, and then they obviously lost against Wisconsin, and then after they lost to Wisconsin, it was just a landslide from there, and they have fallen out of the rankings, and they are struggling in the Big Ten as well. I think they're towards the bottom of the – Big Ten standings as well. So I'm going to stick with the home team in the Big Ten, and that will be the Michigan Wolverines. Eric? This is another tough one. I mean, Ohio State and Michigan are both four and six in the conference, which is just proving how strong the Big Ten is as an overall conference. Um, And then both these teams, Ohio State and Michigan, 11 and 12 in the conference, respectively, both of them coming off of two games in a row where they've won. Um, but I, I've got to say that the better team here is going to be Ohio State. I, li- I like that pick, but I, I just went with the home team. But Ohio State, if Caleb Weston <laughs> can be involved in the Ohio State offense like he usually is, if he has a big game, I think Ohio State can sneak it out. But like I said, I'm picking against the loop. Who is your pick for the last game in the college basketball slate? I'm actually going against my whole theme here. I'm going to go with Ohio State. I've been picking all the home teams in this, but this is the one exception I'm going to put. All right. So I, me and Luke personally want to thank Carrick for joining us in this Monday after the Super Bowl. We knew he wanted to join us. So we let him hop on to <laughs> our second episode of the Sports Hive podcast. So, Carrick, thank you for coming along for the ride. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on here, and I can't wait to talk more with you guys in the future.
right. So that just about does it for us today. Thank you for listening to the Sports Life Podcast. We will be releasing episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and the Anchor app and many more. So please follow our social media in the description below to see all the places we have our episodes and for more content. Uh, We hope you guys enjoy the rest of your spectacular Monday, and we will see you guys next time right here on the Sports Dive Podcast.